Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. If you're glad to be here today, say amen. Amen. Man, I love this church. You're right. Jeremy was, um, by the way, if you'll excuse me, Jeremy and I have been friends for many years. He calls me Josh. I call him Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy, 2016. But I was scheduled to come back in 2020. July of 2020, I was supposed to be back preaching here at Monclova Road, and, um, and I, we could not come. And the reason we could not come is uh, because of the coronavirus, COVID. You remember that? Did you guys have that here? <laughs> was that a, it was a big thing where I came from in, uh, but you know, it, it canceled the situation. And so I couldn't come back until now. And I'm so thrilled to be here. I love this church. I love your pastor. Your pastor and I work together with a ministerial association called the Idea Network. We enjoy it tremendously, and we've gotten to know each other really well over the years, especially the last two. I am from Las Vegas, born and raised. Anybody here ever been to Las Vegas? Raise your hand. Have you ever been to Las Real high. Be proud of your sin. Let me see you. Real high. This is church. It's about confession. It's a confession time. You've been to Las Vegas, raise your hand. You don't even have to go to a booth because it's a Baptist church. You don't have to just, all right, yeah, Vegas, yeah. Did you have fun? Yeah, okay, kids right there. It's fine, your kids are sitting right there and I'm, I'm okay with it as well. If you've never, oh, your, your grandchildren, oh. So you're admitting your sin in front of your grandchildren and every, oh. They know, they know. You don't have to explain to me, God is the one you have to talk to. <laughs> oh, I hope I didn't pick on the wrong person. <laughs> well, I am from Las Vegas, and if you've not been there, we'd love for you to come visit uh, the church uh, in Las Vegas, all the other stuff. You have to run by your pastor, and we'll see if you can see the other stuff. Uh, we are, um, we've, I've been there my whole life, born and raised in Las Vegas. And then we started a church, my wife and I, back in 2004, so coming up on 19 years as a pastor there. And my wife um, it could not be here today. I booked this uh, with you, Jeremy, probably, I don't know, a year or two ago. And I said, absolutely, uh, put it on the calendar. Let's do it. I forgot to check with my wife's calendar. My wife does a, um, a, women's, uh, a large women's conference in Las Vegas uh, every year that she hosts. And um, about six months ago, we were looking at our calendars. And uh, she said, well... I've got the conference. And I said, well, I've got the speaking thing. And we don't like being apart from one another. And I said, so when are you going to cancel? She said, I'm not. She said, when are you going to cancel? I said, I'm not. She said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. So instead I brought two of my daughters. Where are my daughters sitting at this point? Where are you? I'm going to embarrass you. And uh, are you in the room? <laughs> oh, they, they're not here. That makes sense. Actually. Oh, I won't, I won't make you stand, but there they are, Savannah and Scarlett, my daughters. Give them a round of applause. They're teenage girls. They like the attention. 
It, being in Las Vegas, we have a lot of interesting folks. Um, in fact, one of our church members, uh, his name is Mark. He goes by Marvelous Mark. He's an entertainer. We have a lot of entertainers that go to our church, of course. And he actually came and visited your church just probably a few weeks ago. And uh, he, wore, uh, he wore a brighter and more exciting suit than I'm wearing. And he walked around telling everybody he was from Las Vegas. And he actually went to church there. And you, you remember? Oh, he sat right there. He's, it, it was traumatizing, wasn't it, meeting this man? Um, Mark is a dear friend of mine, and our church is filled with a lot of people like that. One such man, his name is John Leggett, and John uh, was a, a Disney employee for years. He was one of the characters that you would go and you would meet. And I'm talking about for years and years and years, all the way back into the early 60s. And uh, he, uh, he originally played Thumper. He dressed as Thumper. And uh, he, I said, what was that like? He said, well, it was very interesting. He said, especially when you went behind the scenes and you took off the top part of your costume and you've got all of the costume people from the waist down and everybody else around standing around smoking cigarettes. And uh, this is what he would do. This was the 60s. Everybody was smoking. And he said he was sitting back there behind the scenes backstage and he was just talking with friends and all of a sudden, he noticed a man and another woman and then another man and another woman who had walked behind the stage and they're just standing there out of costume. Well, he knows the rules. You know, customers are not allowed behind the scenes like that. So he approached them and said, I'm sorry, uh, sir, you're going to have to leave. Uh, this is for uh, costumed characters only. And the man very quietly and patiently put out a cigarette and said, that's okay, I, I didn't know, I'll, I'll head this way. And he did, he left with his wife and, uh, and the other man and, and the other woman and they left. And as he went back to talk to, you know, Bambi or something, um, the other employee looked at him and said, what are you doing? And John said, what are you talking about? He said, why did you do that? He said, what do you mean? He said, you just... You just told Walt Disney to leave the backstage. <laughs> Hand to God, true story. He said, I did what? He said, how do you not recognize him? He's on TV every Sunday night. He says, I don't watch it. It was a few days later that Walt Disney walked up to him and thanked him for following the rules that he had established. You know, I think it's interesting that sometimes you fall into a situation where you have no idea who you're talking to. And that's what's going on in the passage I want to study today. Luke chapter number 12, there's a man who interacts with Jesus and clearly this man has no idea who Jesus is because of the question that the guy asks Jesus. And if you're new here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we are so glad you're here. Or maybe a long time ago you were a follower of Jesus, but you're coming back. We are so glad you're here. Today, this story may really resonate with you. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but sometimes you make mistakes. This story will resonate with you. Look what it says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. One day Jesus was teaching, Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. And as Jesus was teaching, it says in verse 13, that one of the company said unto Jesus, Master, 
speak to my brother that he defied the inheritance with me. Now, this is fascinating because as Jesus spoke in the middle of his sermon, somebody stopped him and interrupted him with a question. It's an odd thing to do. I hope it doesn't happen to me today. But this passage, the Bible says somebody interrupted Jesus' sermon and said, Jesus, I have a question. Jesus says, yes. Yeah, could you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now, I know we haven't been studying Luke chapter 12 together, but I'll just say this. That question was completely out of context with what Jesus was talking about. It'd be like me preaching through this passage, you raising the hand and asking a question about Star Wars. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. And so this person, totally out of the blue, asked Jesus a question about an inheritance. Now, Jesus' response is very gracious. Um, can I just stop and ask the question, have you ever said something dumb to God before? Like privately? How many have ever done anything kind of dumb and God knew about it or even said something to God that was a little probably you wouldn't do it again? How many of you are like me? You've ever done that? So let's not judge the person too harshly. And I love that Jesus doesn't. He doesn't jump on his back. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't say, don't you know who I am? He says in verse number 14, Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? I'm not an inheritance attorney. I, I, I'm not in the legal system. What, why are you coming to me with this? And then the man said, and then he said unto them, the, the crowd, Jesus now speaks to the crowd and uses the man as an illustration. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. They had no idea who they were talking to. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is over these next few moments that as we, your children, spend time studying your scripture, you would give us insight and understanding to change our hearts, change our minds that will eventually change our lives. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would come in and minister unto these, your people today. As I preach from your holy word, this place has been filled with your holy people. And now I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to help your, 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 your church. God, I cannot help them apart from you. So I pray that you would cleanse me and fill me, empower me to do for you and do for these people what I cannot do. And that is help them to understand the importance of this passage. That sometimes we are so easily blinded to. Because money tends to blind us like it did this man. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Money does tend to blind the wealthy. Have you ever seen those videos on uh, social media or on YouTube of the children who receive glasses for the very first time? Have you seen these? 
you know, the, the child gets the glasses and they'll, they'll put them on and they're just kind of squirming. And then all of a sudden they, they, and then the child can see. How many of you wear glasses or you wear contact lenses? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are like that? Okay, so a lot of us do. Do you remember what it was like before you put them on? I do because I didn't receive them until I was 13. And that I can remember as I went into that lens crafters and came out with those, those glasses, I remember looking and seeing the trees. And as I looked at the trees, the first thing I noticed was you could see the individual leaves in the trees. You remember that feeling? You remember that feeling? You do too. I can remember looking at buildings. I, no, I feel exactly this. I remember looking at buildings and you would see the outlines of the buildings. You put the glasses on and you could see the windows in the buildings. I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful. And for those who have never struggled with any kind of problem with eyesight, it's a little difficult for you to understand if it's like squinting really bad and you can't really see depending on how bad your eyesight, your eyesight might be. Here's the problem with money. And we're going to see it from Jesus' teaching here. Money tends to blind the wealthy. And unfortunately, if you're not careful, it's not true of all those who have wealth, but if you're not careful, the more of it you have, the more blind you tend to be. And in this passage, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, where Jesus tells the story of a wealthy man who was blessed with more wealth, we can see his blindness so very clear. So how is it that how is it that greed or extreme wealth or covetousness, because that's what Jesus says here, beware of covetousness. How is it that covetousness blinds the wealthy man in three ways? And I'm only going to share these three thoughts relatively quickly today. Three words that I want to share with you. Those three words are reality, generosity, and mortality. Three words, and they're very simple. The first word is reality. The second one is generosity. And the third one is mortality. Can you say those three with me today? Let's say them together. Number one, reality. Number two, generosity. Number three, mortality. These three words summarize this entire passage for me. Number one, reality. Covetousness, greed, it can blind you to reality. The greedy man cannot see his limited role in his own success. It's like the turtle on the fence post. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you can mark it down for sure. Absolutely. He did not get there alone. And so it's true of every man and woman in this room who has experienced some level of success. If you're a junior or a senior in high school at this point, and you are receiving great marks and good grades, and you're beginning to take a little pride in your position, you have to understand, son, daughter, you are not there on your own. The parents that God gave you or the teachers that invested in you, the individuals who set you aside and tutored you, helped you get to the success that you're in. You didn't get there by yourself. 
And we understand that of turtles and teenagers, but it's really hard for us to admit that of ourselves. And so it was for this man. Because greed can blind you to reality, the reality that I only had a limited role in my own success. Look what the passage goes on to say. Jesus tells a story in verse 16. So Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no more room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build bigger barns or greater and there will be, there I will bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that Jesus summarizes that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The first thing I want to point out as we look at this passage is from where the wealth sprung. Where did the wealth come from? You say, well, the farmer, the farmer himself became extremely wealthy because the farmer was a great farmer. But look at what the text actually says in verse 16. It says, and he, Jesus, spoke a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. What yielded the plentiful crops? I'll ask the question again. You have to say it out loud because the pastor is from Las Vegas today. <laughs> the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. What was it that yielded such a plentiful crop? The ground. You say, wait, 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 wait. Doesn't the farmer get his props for what he's done? And according to Jesus, no. It was the ground that brought forth the crops, not the farmer. It was the ground that brought forth the beauty of all of this and the wealth that was given to this man. And I love that Jesus specifically and intentionally points out the ground. You say, well, didn't the farmer have some aspect of this great success? Well, sure, sure. A limited role had the farmer, but any farmer could have done it. Any farmer just doing his job could have had a crop come through because sometimes God just blesses the ground. Amen. You say, Pastor Josh, why is that important to remember? Because greed tends to blind the wealthy to the limited role of their own success. Anybody a basketball fan? Any basketball fans here today? If you're a basketball fan, raise your hand real high. How many of you, um, how many of you like Kobe? Did you like Kobe? Any Kobe fans? Okay, there's a few in the back. Kobe Bryant, man, what, a, what an incredible basketball player. In his very final game for the Los Angeles Lakers, having led that team to incredible amounts of victory over the years, many will say he probably the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And many of those who say that are absolutely mistaken. It was Michael Jordan. Okay, let's just be very clear about that. Thank you. Yes, we connect. We understand each other. Yeah. But Kobe, I mean, you got to give him his due. 
an amazing basketball player. But he wasn't just an amazing basketball player. He really was an amazing man before he, uh, he passed suddenly back in 2020. And in his final game in Los Angeles, he came out and he gave a speech. And you know what's fascinating? This speech really gives you an indication of the kind of man that he was. Listen to what he says in his speech. He says, to be standing here at the center court with you guys, my teammates behind me, and appreciating all the journey that we've been on. You know, we've been through our ups and we've been through our downs. And I think the most important part is that we've stayed together through it all. This is a man who is one of the most famous basketball players in all the world, one of the highest ranked basketball players of all time in his final game where it's all about Kobe and Kobe gets up and says, you know what? We really have come a long way, haven't we? Then he said this in his speech, all I can do is thank you guys. Thank you guys for the support. Thank you guys for the motivation. Thank you guys for the inspiration. Wow. And then he goes on to speak to his family, to my family, my wife, Vanessa, my daughter, Nathalia, uh, Gianna. Thank you guys for all of your success and sacrifice. All the time that I spend at the gym and training from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. What can I say? Mamba out. His speech demonstrated great gratitude because he understood there was no way for him to get there without all of them. And we honor that. During the same time period, there was another famous celebrity who gave a similar speech when he received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. His name was Snoop Dogg. I won't ask how many Snoop Dogg fans are in the church today. But when he received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, listen to his speech and in your mind, compare it to great Kobe. This is what he said. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all the hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and never trying to take more than I give. I want to, give, I want to thank me for trying to do more of the right thing, the wrong thing. I want to thank me for being me all of the time. And the crowd was like. <laughs> Why? Because as a human being, you know, as I do. That type of lack of gratitude. Is so very obvious coming from somebody who's blind to the limitation of their own success. They think to themselves they got there on their own. And boy, does that just, and some of you, look, I, I, some of you, you live in a situation where people around you genuinely take advantage of you and do not recognize what you bring to the family. 
You work in an organization where you bring and pour yourself in and the recognition is not there. And you wonder sometimes, does anybody see what I do for this place? And let me just step up and tell you, yes, the God of heaven who loves you sees everything you do for that place. You don't have to be like Snoop Dogg and let everybody know. You can be like Kobe and celebrate those around you. I remember I was at a, um, I was at a church planters uh, luncheon. This is years ago, Jeremy, years ago, years ago. And I was sitting there in this church planters luncheon. And my, my wife and I, we started the church in Las Vegas 19 years ago. And when we did, we did it together. I mean, every single day we were out doing it together, starting the church, knocking on doors, inviting people, leading and teaching. It was a, it was a, it was a team effort. And I was at this church planners luncheon and at the church planners luncheon, I was being recognized uh, for church planting there. My wife and I were sitting and there was a table here and a bunch of tables. And as we sat there, the speaker got up and he, he recognized our church and then he was going to have me come and pray. And I, I stood up and he said, lots of nice things. The church is successful and it's a great church. And Pastor Josh is an amazing speaker and it's a great church and it's amazing what he's done. And it's great. And, and all of these amazing things, you know, and I sat there and I tried to, you know, pretend to be humble and, oh, thank you. God bless you. You know, this kind of thing. And, um, and then I was supposed to come up. So I walked all the way up and I stood behind and I say, let us pray. And I prayed a prayer, you know, and I walked down the great grand church planter that I am. And I sat down at the table and my wife leaned over and she said to me, you did such an incredible job when you planted that church all by yourself. Here's my question. Do you recognize the contributions of your employees? I know you get frustrated with them. Do you recognize what they're doing for you? Do you recognize the contributions of your team? of your partners, of your community, of your civil leaders, of the first responders, of the missionaries that we send? Do you recognize the contribution even of God in your life? See, the problem with this man is this man genuinely thought, Look at what a great farmer I am. Look at all the crops I have. What do I do with all of these crops? I know, build bigger barns for me. And Jesus begins the story by saying, this guy happened to have a piece of ground that really was fruitful. And it had very little to do with him. He should have just been thankful he was part of the process. I don't know about you, but God has really been convicting me about just being grateful to be part of the process. You know, this is what Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. When Moses says in the midst of his sermon, now you have to understand the scenario. Moses is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years. And just before they're going into the promised land, Moses gets up and he preaches three sermons to them. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Three sermons right before they go into the promised land. And so he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. 
He's telling them this because God is about to give them an incredible fruitful land called the promised land, land that flows with milk and honey. Their ship is about to come in. And Moses says, before you get in there, you better remember it's God that gave you the power to get wealth. And Deuteronomy 8 is in the context of Moses trying to explain to them what the tithe is all about. The tithe is all about giving a portion of that which God has given you, give that portion back to God. Knowing that 100% of what I have belongs to God, God is asking for a certain percentage back. But he couches all of that with this concept. You're about to be blessed with incredible land. Don't you forget, it's God that gave you the power to get it. The problem with wealth is if we're not careful, we can become covetous or greedy. And with greed, it blinds us to the reality that I did not get here on my own. It was God who did it. So if God blessed me, I better bless him back. Amen. So what does is, what is greed do? Number one, greed can blind us to the first word was reality. Does anybody remember what the second word was we were going to talk about? What was it? Does anybody remember? Generosity. Greed can blind us to generosity. You say, what do you mean? The greedy man just can't see the most exciting part of being rich. And that's what we see in the story. I'm going to say it again. It's such a great thought. The greedy man forgets the most exciting part of being rich. You know, the Bible never condemns being wealthy. In fact, many of the heroes of the Bible are blessed by God and are wealthy. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so if God has blessed you with wealth today, I'm here to remind you, (laughs) don't forget the best part of being wealthy. You say, what's the best part of being wealthy? Generosity. The fact that you don't have to be the one being given to, you get to be the one giving. And this wealthy man forgets it. Remember the story? Jesus said the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Look at verse 17. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow all of my fruits. That, that's like saying, I have so much money, the banks can't hold it all. By the way, how awesome would that be to get that call from your accountant? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Like your Edward Jones guy calls you and, and he's like, hey, we got a problem. You're like, oh no, I've been watching the market. No, 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 that's not it. So like, you have so much now, there's really no bank that can hold all your money. How many of you would like that problem? Can I get an amen? <laughs> you say, pastor, money means nothing to me. Good. Give it to me. I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> but could you imagine having that much wealth? They could, and that's the way a farmer at this time would have thought of his crops. His crops were so much, he literally says, what am I going to do with all of my wealth? And this is what he said. This is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater barns. And there I will bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
Don't you love it when somebody refers to themselves in the third person? You know, this is a down-to-earth wealthy man. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Yet he totally forgot the coolest part about being wealthy. Now, now I look around this room and I realize there's some of you that are in that stage of life and God has blessed you like he's blessed me. And you're like smiling and you're like, tell them, tell them, Josh, tell them. Because there's some young adults in this room, they don't know it. The young people sometimes think to themselves, the best part of being wealthy is the fact you get whatever you want. No, that's great too. The best part of being wealthy is giving it away. It's so awesome. And this poor fool missed it. He missed the whole thing. What am I going to do with it all? Build bigger barns. That means nothing. Take thy knees, relax. If you had more than you could possibly use, let me ask you a question. If you had more than you could possibly use, what would you do with the overflow? Little about me. We started, as I said, a church in Las Vegas, uh, which means in the early days of a church plant, you do a lot of knocking on doors. Like not, you just, hi, my name is Josh. It's nice to meet you. Would you like to come to our church? Nope. Okay. All right. Very good. You know, walking. Hi, my name is Josh. I'm not selling vacuum cleaners. I'm here to, no. Uh, Okay. See ya. In the early days, one of our earliest deacons was a police officer. Have you ever tried to go door knocking with a cop? (laughs) Not cool, man. Because they knock on a door a very specific way. I'm like, would you stop? You're embarrassing me. And these people are not expecting a door knock like that. They are not expecting, who's home? You know, like, okay, settle down. But I was door knocking long before I was a church planter. I was 16 years old. And when I was 16, I started my own business. Um, I always liked to, uh, I've always done stuff like this. And and I had a little business for myself um, where I would uh, paint I don't know if they do that in the, in the neighborhoods here. Do you have in the neighborhoods um, where the number is painted on the curb for the, uh, for the emergency workers? I know they, they light up the houses now. This was before electricity, I guess. But we used to have, we used to have these. And, and I would go through and um, I would walk through the neighborhood. I had even business cards printed up. And I'm, I would walk up and I would hand the card and knock on the door and say, Hi, my name is Josh from Josh's Curb and Can Company. And I'm here to uh, paint your curbs and your cans. You might ask, why is that important? And the answer is, is because there are emergency vehicles who will come through this neighborhood. And if you are ever in an emergency, you want them to be able to know your location. So it's important for you to have a fresh paint. I've noticed at the front of your curb, it's a little faded, but I can refresh in that and I can make it fantastic for at least a $5 gift. Would you be willing to do that now? Or do you want me to come back at another time? I still remember the speech. And they would often say, get off of our lawn. You know what I mean? <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes it'd work out well. And I remember one specific Saturday, um, on one Saturday, I was able to earn, I'll never forget it, $92 in one day. Now, $92 back in 1842 was a, <laughs> that was a lot of money. 
it was a lot of money, especially for a 16 year old kid. And so, I mean, I had this money in my pocket. Now I grew up in church because I grew up in church. I had been taught by my parents to tithe and to give a portion back to God of that, which God has blessed me with. And it would take years and years for me to understand all the benefits of tithing. Um, I had to mature in my own Christian faith to understand it, but I got in the practice early as we ought to teach our children. And so I remember I, I ran, I, I went, we were ready to go to church. And as we went to church, I forgot my tithe because God blessed me with $92. So I ran upstairs and I grabbed a $10 bill out of, out of the, um, out of, out of my drawer. And I put it in my pocket, 10 bucks. You say, well, technically tithe is like $9 and 20 cents. Yeah, but it was a good week. So I wanted to tip God that extra 80 cents. You know what I mean? Like he deserves it. He deserves it. You know? And so I put that $10 in my pocket and I ran to church and I sat down and offering time came by and I'm like ready to go. So I pull out my $10 bill and I noticed it was a 20. And I'm like, oh, that's, oh, oh, that's. So can I do this like next week or. And I actually, my, my, my mom was so embarrassed. I began to, this is true. I began to ask people if they had change. Hey, do you have change for a 20? Hurry, the, it's coming. The offering plate's coming. Do you have change for a 20? You say, why would you do that? Because I was so new to giving. I, I didn't realize that the best part about being blessed with wealth is to give it. That's changed in my life, man, over the years. As God has developed a cycle of generosity in my life, that I've realized one of the greatest things in life is just to be able to give. Think about, think about the rich young ruler. You remember that story later on in the Gospel of Luke? The rich young ruler meets Jesus and he walks up and he says, Lord, Rabbi, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, I know what you can do. You can give away everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor. And then some people have misinterpreted that, meaning they think the way to get to heaven is by giving all your money to the poor. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus knew that this man had a poison inside of him, greed. And he would never be able to come to the gospel while this poison of greed was inside of his heart. And the only antidote to greed is generosity. I don't know where you're at today, but all of us struggle with some kind of a sin. And if today's sin that you struggle with is covetousness or greed, let me first of all say, you've probably felt a little uncomfortable in this sermon and you might not like me as much as some of the people around you. That's okay. Because I'm here to share with you from the Bible what can help you. And if you can be honest, some, some, not all, but maybe you're here today. Maybe it's just one of us. And you kind of struggle with covetousness and greed a little bit inside of your heart. You say, okay, I get it. I really do. This is a problem for me. What do I do? There's one antidote to greed, generosity. Give it away. That's what Jesus was saying to the rich young ruler. Your, your solution to your greed problem is give it away and then you won't worry about it. You say, well, that doesn't really work. The answer is it works every time. That's why God tells us to give to the poor. That's why God tells us to give to his work. There are two primary ways in which we give in the scripture. Give to the poor and give to the work of God. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears from the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself and will not be heard. Do you know why it is that we fail to give to the poor? 
we fail in this area because we often think of ourselves as poor and therefore not obligated. Yet, did you know that if you have an annual income of $55,000 a year or more, you are among the top 0.2% of the world's wealthiest people. I did not say the top 2%. I said the top 0.2% of the world's wealthiest. Out of every 200 people, you stand at the top of that heap. That's if your family makes 55 grand a year, which in a lot of our cities and societies and parts of America we think is kind of below. You say, well, we don't make that. Did you know if your family has an income of $25,000 a year, you are among the top 2% wealthiest people in the world? We fool ourselves when we as Americans in this modern country don't grasp the reality of our own wealth. So I know that sometimes we sit back and we talk about like the wealthy and we're like, that's right, the rich should be wealthy. Yes, we should. I'm going to say the rich should be generous. And I want you to say, yes, we should. The rich should be generous. Yes, we should. We not only give to the poor, we also give to God's work. Proverbs chapter 9, I mean 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall be filled with new wine. We call it the cycle of generosity or the cycle of giving at our church. The cycle of generosity works this way. It's found all throughout the scripture. The more God blesses you with the more you bless others with, the more God sees that you're blessing others, the more he desires to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others, so that he can be a blessing to you, so that you can be a blessing to others. Now, some I know have tried to manipulate the system and they're like, okay, tell me that again. Have you ever seen these preachers or Christians? They're like, let me tell you about a trick I found. You know what I mean? They're always trying to sign you up for a new business. And also they're like, so I found out if you give God a hundred bucks, he's going to give you 300 in three weeks, right? That's not the thing. You, you can't manipulate the system of God, but there is a generosity cycle that is taught in scripture. God's generous with you. And then so you can be generous with others. And the more you're generous with others, the more he's generous with you. And then the cycle starts to spin fast. The only thing that slows down that cycle is when you decide to slow it down. We're like Peter on the waves, right? We begin to see a lot of the, the, the storm and we're like, I'm not sure that I can be so generous right now. And so God's like, okay, you can hold back. It's fine. You can slow down the generosity cycle. That's what I mean by one of the things that the wealthy forget is that the joy of wealth is to give it away. When we were young, and by the way, if you're here in your 20s today, we all know what it was like to be in our 20s. I know what it was like. How many of you remember what it was like when you were, um, you were like, hey, do you want to get pizza? And, and your wife or husband was like, yeah, let's get pizza. And you both knew what that meant. Let's go look in the drawers for coins. Do you remember that? How many of you remember these days, right? And you're like, I don't remember them. I'm in them right now, okay? 
You're like, oh, there it is. There's it. I found it. I found, I found a 50 cent piece. And I can remember those days as a church planter that there were people in our church and um, in their 40s and 50s and they had come into their own. Man, they were so, they were so generous with us. Now that God has, we followed the biblical principles and we're been giving to God and helping others and been good stewards. Now we're in the place where, can I, can I just stop and tell you, it's so much fun to give a hundred dollar handshake to somebody. You know what I mean? You know that feeling of what it's like to know at Christmas time that that family is really struggling and to tell your kids, okay, this is what we're going to do. And to come up with this big elaborate plan and somebody dresses like Santa Claus and you got all the gifts and you come in and then you come over to the dad or the mom and you give them an envelope and you know what's in that envelope. And man, you walk out and golly, that's incredible. There's nothing like looking on Facebook and seeing a missionary who's like, we're really in trouble. We really have a problem. We got to solve this car issue or we're not going to be able to get out to the village. And if we can't get out to the village, that village won't have church for the next few months. And you're like, I can take care of that. And so you call them and you send them and there's nothing cooler than that. There's nothing greater than when you see a church like Monclova Road, who's like, okay, we know there's a church over here. It's a, is it Bono Baptist Church? Bono Baptist Church. Bono, that's from Ireland. That's something else entirely. <laughs> and, and, and the church is like, you know what? Let's focus here. And your pastor is like, no, let's be generous. Let's go help this other church. And this church chooses out of its abundance to bless others. And what I'm here to send for a message from the Lord today is this. It's very simple. It's that your generosity is helping many people. Keep it going. Because here's what greed does. It blinds you. It blinds an individual to reality. The greedy cannot see they're limited in their own success. It blinds them to generosity. The true benefit of being wealthy is to be able to give it away. And the third thing that is blinding, does anybody remember what the third one was? One was reality, the third was generosity. Anybody remember what the third element that is blinding? Mortality. The greedy can't see that the death is coming for him. Jesus tells a story. There's a man whose ground brought forth plentifully. And he sat back and said, look at all I've done. What do I do with all my wealth? I know what I will do. I will build bigger barns for me. And Jesus says in verse 20, but God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Death. Death and then, and the, look, death and then you stand before God. So if you forget everything else I said today, the only thing I want you to walk away with is this thought. We're all going to die. You say, well, that's a very pleasant thought. Well, you came to a Baptist church. What do you expect? Amen, right? <laughs> We're going to die. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. But the moment you die, you're going to stand before God. 
and God's just going to say, so what you do? All I'm here to do today is remind you that day is coming. I'm here to be a friend to you to say, okay, remember this, all this stuff that you're going through, it's temporary. You're going to get through it. Then you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, okay, so how to go? What did you do with all of the time and talent and treasure that I gave you? What'd you do? What'd you got for me? What'd you got? What'd you do? What'd you go? Let's go. <laughs> A lot of us are like those people behind the door when my cop friend came knocking. Shocked. They had no idea that somebody was at the door. Friend, death comes unexpectedly. And when it comes, the question is, are you ready? If you haven't been saved, well, that's a whole conversation that you ought to have with one of the pastors of the church. If you have been saved, it's just a simple reminder story, especially if God has blessed you financially, to avoid covetousness and greed, which can really cause a lot of problems. And to be wealthy, it's very easy to be blinded to reality, to generosity and, mort and mortality. So what do I do? Understand what God deserves and give it to him. Say, so what do you mean? My son, Jonathan, you met my two daughters. I have one other. And then I'm going to tell this story and then I'll be done. My son, Jonathan, he's 19, almost 20 now. He's in college and um, he's, uh, he's preparing for, uh, he's studying national securities in the ROTC program going into the military. Any, any of those who served in the military here today? Okay, this is my son's future. And, and um, he wasn't always 19, 20 going, to, he was five years old. And uh, I remember I was gonna teach him about money. And so I, I, I was told, you know, get three jars. Did anybody do the three jar system? where on one of them it says uh, tithe and the other one it says save and the other one it says spend, right? So it's very simple. We just wanted to understand. And so I broke down some dollar bills and I took some quarters and instead of buying pizza, we, we gave them to my son. And, um, and I had a few quarters, a few nickels and just like a bunch of pennies, like probably like seven or eight dollars worth of pennies. And really it was just a training thing. It wasn't really about money as much as I was trying to train him to be obedient. And so I said, okay, son, have a seat. And then I explained to him the principle. I said, okay, um, savings, you always need to take part of what you have and put it in the savings so that if anything bad happens one day, you can, you have something to fall back on. Spending is super fun. And uh, now in the future, it's not as fun because you have to spend on stuff you don't want to spend on. But as a kid, you can buy whatever you want. Spending. And then tithing is what belongs to God. Now I understand we're not under the law, and, but I didn't explain to my son the Levitical law and the blood of Christ and shedding. No, I, I just said tithe, right? Simple. And I said, take one penny and put it in save and take one penny and put it in tithe and take eight pennies and put it in spending. And this way, when it's time to give, you know how much to give. When it's time to uh, uh, spend, you know how much to spend and then never touch the savings unless it's an emergency. He said, okay. So he, ding, 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 ding. And I'm sitting there watching, and it was really fun. I, ding. And he's really slow. And ding. Ding, 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 ding. 
And I watched for like 40, 40 pennies. And I'm like, this is boring. So I'm like, all right, you have fun. You do your thing. I'm leaving. So I left and went downstairs, did some stuff. Uh, probably 10 minutes later, I come back upstairs and the kid's still sitting there. He was really focused. But I looked and I noticed that he totally messed it up. Like it was really bad. He's not a smart kid. Those of you who know him know he's probably, what well, you know. So I'm like, okay, it's not so hard, but this kid, you know. Um, and inside of the savings, <laughs> there was like, like 12 pennies. And inside of the tithing, there was like a pile. And inside of the spending, it was like half of the pile of, of, the, of, the, of the tithing. And I said, son, I, I think you misunderstand. One penny for savings, which has almost nothing. Uh, one that way I know he's a true American. You know what I mean? One penny for savings, one penny for tithing, and eight pennies for yourself for spending. I said, this is how it works. And he looked up. I'll never forget, as clear as any child could possibly speak to the father. And he said, no, dad, I understand. I just think that God deserves more than me. Those were his exact words. Now, some might be sitting here saying, well, Okay, come on, Josh, that's, that's a little manipulative, that story. That's a little unfair. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, 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 a fair comparison. Because here's the fact, Josh, if it came down to it, he could put all of his money in the tithing and he could give it all to God. Why? He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Why is he going to be fine? Because he has a father who's going to pay for everything he needs anyway. So he's going to be fine. He doesn't need that money. He has you. So it's not a fair comparison. Until you realize... You have a father. That if you were led of God and your stewardship of his finances to give more than probably that 10% to that neighbor who is in need, to that single mom who has nothing for the kids, to that missionary across the seas or for that program that we need to start at the church. And you think to yourself, but if I did that, but if I did that, there may not be enough here until I'll say to you exactly what you said to me. You have a father. He'll take care of the things that he needs to take care of. If he calls you to give, 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 give. And here's why. Because greed and covetousness, it is a tricky enemy. And it will blind you. It'll blind you to the reality that you are not the one who created your wealth. It'll blind you to generosity. It's the greatest part of being wealthy and it'll blind you to mortality. Life ends quickly. <laughs> and we're not gonna regret giving to God and to those who are in need. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org. And we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.